The following podcast contains explicit language. You're listening to the Cinematography Podcast presented by Hot Rod Cameras, a program about the art, craft and philosophy of the moving image and the people who make it happen. Coming to you from the world headquarters of Hot Rod Cameras in Hollywood, California, are your hosts, Ben Rock and Ilya Friedman. Hey, Ilya. How you doing? I'm doing fine, Ben. How are you? I'm doing great. We're here at the Hot Rod Bunker in <laughs> Burbank, California. It's not really supposed to be a bunker, but it does smell a little bit like bleach. It is a little bunkerish. I, and I, yeah, and you and I are keeping a fine social distance. We are. And I have washed my hands three times since walking <laughs> in the room. And I have watched you sanitize every surface that hands touch in the entire building. Yeah. Uh, we, that's just sort of part of our daily routine now. Yeah. Uh, whereas <laughs> it, it may have used to have been a, a weekly routine. Now it is a daily routine. Yeah. We're in the process of making sure that every phone, every doorknob, every handle, every surface has been bleached on a daily basis and possibly more we still are open and we still get people who walk in the door and we're not planning on changing that because uh, we certainly are providing stuff that people need and we want to try to help them out there is still production going forward right now even though there is a laundry list of things that have been paused or shut down and i think that probably uh next to like big studio productions the probably hardest hit people are event shooters if you shoot weddings or raves or funerals do people have funeral shooters Uh, no not usually funerals don't seem to be the Uh, thing that there goes the business plan i was putting together oh well yeah so but but if you had some sort of event sport type of thing there's a good chance now that you may not be there although uh it's interesting because uh the grand sumo tournament is taking place in japan right now uh without spectators and it's very interesting to not hear the roar of the crowd as these giant mostly naked men slap against each other and try to push each other out of the ring. You make it sound like a bad thing. Yeah, well, <laughs> with the crowd and sometimes throwing their their seat cushions into the air and stuff, it's, it adds a lot to the drama, and now it is less dramatic. So uh, who's on the show today? I, it feels so trivial to be doing a podcast, but I, but we got to keep going, soldier through. You know what? Not trivial. I don't think so. I think that we have to decide how we're handling things, and really, you can be completely a slave to paranoia or you can marshal forward consciously and just understand what the risks are and what you're doing and I think that if you do that uh, this is not a terrible time to be alive I do believe that there are ways for you to mitigate most of these scenarios thankfully the outbreak here is way less than it has been in other parts of the world currently but I still believe that uh, as long as everyone is conscious there are ways to kind of do what you're doing a lot of the the major studios and uh, streaming services and agencies are doing work from home and they are continuing to marshal forward work but they are self-quarantining which is great which is great so real quick before we get into this which is kind of creeping into our close focus who is on the show today i'm really excited to have on the show kira kelly kira kelly is incredible not only is she talented she's whip smart incredibly humble and uh Man, just like a delight and joy to talk to. I would I could talk to I could have talked to her for probably three times the length of time that we did. She's she's so much fun to to have on the show. She's probably and, you know, no offense to Larry Fong or some of the other extremely charismatic people we have had on the show. She's maybe the most charismatic person we've ever had. So I know she's she's, we're going to have to have her and Larry like after the like like we have to have (laughs) like a joke off. off. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just have them in here and we'll do like a make me laugh thing or something. No, no. It's not that she's funny. She's not she's not like a comedian, but I'm just saying like, you know, some people just exude a natural charisma where you go like, wow, I just want to hang out with this person all the time. Yeah, yeah. It, it, to me, it is no wonder that Kira Kelly is shooting like uh, amazing stuff. And of course, shout the definitive documentary for, you know, the prison system in this country, which is 13th. She did it with uh, Ava DuVernay. Sweet. Uh, she's going to continue to go on and do all kinds of incredible stuff. And I think anyone who meets her will just hire her on the spot because she's uh, she's fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah. So, Ben, it's time for Close Focus. Close Focus. So there really is nothing to talk about except for the COVID-19 outbreak and how it's affecting uh, the world in America. And uh, not that the entertainment industry is the most important industry ever, but because that's what we cover, uh, we kind of wanted to talk about shutdowns. Yeah, shutdowns. Um, There's a lot of them. We alluded to it a little just even before getting into this, but I think it's a window of time here, not the new normal. There is an appetite for production and for content and for uh, movies and everything else. The economy wasn't in bad shape and there wasn't it wasn't like there was a glut of stuff or, or anything like that. It was just, you know, necessity is 
killing production right now. Yeah, uh, I expect them to find ways. Maybe distance filmmaking. Maybe zoom lenses become much more popular. We have to keep further away. Uh, well, I'm going to say radio microphones, wireless mics, wireless video. I, I can just see now the distance filmmaking community of like the director is way over there There's in Video all, Village. Every scene. It's like NCIS. Why is every scene in level four biocontainment and everyone's wearing biocontainment suits? Well, Saturday Night Live last week did a sketch where they said, oh, due to the virus outbreak and we have to protect our, our our talent this uh soap opera called the sands of modesto oh yeah <laughs> which, which i'm gonna encourage anyone to go to uh the saturday night live uh, streaming site and watch sands of modesto if you'd like a if you'd like a laugh of course the actors in the scene have to kiss and they put a barrier up in, in between them and all of this is is really serious right now because there are of course actors who well, have been working tom who, hanks tom hanks and rita wilson famously now uh, have contracted coronavirus so. oh god so yeah, that's a that's a thing. It's it, it it's all a little terrifying. You have a, a list in front of you of productions that have been shut down. Can can we run down not all of them because we'd be here for the next two hours, but run down a few of the maybe better known ones that uh, that have been shut down. Sure. Uh, well, let's see. I've got television like Jimmy Kimmel, uh, Handmaid's Tale, Grey's Anatomy, Grace and Frankie, Good Fight. This is alphabetical. Fear the Walking Dead. You think Fear the Walking Dead would would marshal through this? But I, I do. Well, and you know, like I, I, you know, sometimes when you're in something like this, uh, watching a horror movie or something that that lives in that world gives you comfort. But at the moment, I'm just not feeling it. Uh, Mission Impossible Seven was shooting overseas, so that was you know a, a big part of it. But uh, the upfronts were canceled for every network, which is of course the pitch of the new television shows for advertising for the yeah. advertisers. So NAB uh, was canceled. NAB big big event Can. was canceled. Can was canceled. The Can Film Festival, which I don't believe has ever been canceled. And most of the airlines and hotels and different things like that are being much more liberal with what used to be non-refundable travel. Ugh. So. So if you are planning on doing a traveling, just just know that uh, it's been recommended against that by saner people than you or I. And um, <laughs> uh, you should take all necessary precautions. And the, the airlines and the people who used to just keep your money in such an event will actually now uh, give you credit. So that's good. And I think I mentioned probably two weeks ago, maybe last week, uh, about how I needed to track down a concertina player uh, to record some audio. Yeah, so uh, we were supposed to be in tech for that play, which is called The Art Couple, which was going to go up at the Kirk Douglas Theater here in L.A., and so canceled. tech was supposed to be yesterday and today. Yeah. On, on Friday, Spoiler alert. Friday, they canceled. Canceled. Uh, I mean, uh, canceled is a harst word. Uh, they, Postponed. St- they still want to do the show, but it's like, if you're, if you're to do the best version of your play right now, who's going to go see it? You know, I, I think it's really interesting because most of the major outbreaks in other countries have caused uh, not only schools, but restaurants to be closed. And this is not a newsflash. And I'm not going to go over like, you know, the proper way to wash your hands or anything like that. That's not our show. But what I was going to say is that uh, depending on where you are in this country and how early this is, you may not have noticed very much disruptive t- disruption to your life at all. But we live in a major city. I think some other major cities definitely yeah. have been hit harder than It was than other exponential, places. though, because it was yeah. like a week ago today. It was like, oh, there's some crap coming up. And then like. Like we even did an interview a few days ago here uh, at, at the mothership. And I feel like today I probably would be like, I don't know that we should be doing in-person interviews for the, for a minute. Like it's, it's a little dicey. We did an in-person interview three days ago. Yes, so, exactly. Yeah. But I, I feel like it's exponentially worse and we haven't even really gotten the first real wave of the disease. We have like, you know, just sort of, well, the, but we couldn't test for it. So So we're kind of living in it right now, but we don't know it yet. And, and here's the thing, though. I believe that the social distancing, I believe that the working from home, I, I think that all of this stuff that people are doing, like, hey, let me tell you, driving in L.A. has never been better. Oh, my God. It's like it'll usually take me 30 minutes to get here from my house, which is not very far as the crow flies. But it took me about 10 minutes today because there was literally no traffic the whole way here. That That's true. And uh, my commute, which is already uh, pretty short, is even shorter right yeah. now. So, hey, let's get to the interview with uh, Kira Kelly. All right. Here is Kira Kelly, everyone. The Cinematography Podcast Interview. Kira Kelly, welcome to the Cinematography Podcast. Thank you. I have sort of a uh, stock question that I like to ask people. Uh, Ben's got his question as well, but since you're sitting here with me, uh, you you get mine, which is uh, I have a belief that 
cinematographers, at least the best cinematographers, are part artist and part plumber. Uh, <laughs> on, on, on that spectrum, uh, where do you think you fall? Are you are you more artist? Are you more plumber? Where, where, where do, what what are you? Let's see. Um, I, I find myself wanting to be more and more plumber because I feel like I would love to know, like be one of those DPs who could say, yeah, it's 6K resolution. I know that we need 35 millimeter, like, you know, lens coverage and they somehow know like every new advance and resolution and stuff like that and I try to keep up but it's just not where my where my brain ends up going I think I fall more towards the uh the, the artist, artist. yes, yes. <laughs> how do you say that with sounding so without sounding very pompous i don't know but <laughs> but, 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 but yes yeah, so there is something to be said for being a good plumber you know i think that that's something that uh we i i definitely strive for too <laughs> yeah. well uh you know if you're not a good artist, then it doesn't look good, and then no yes. one really wants to watch it. It doesn't matter if you're the best plumber or the best technical person it's out true. there. You got you got to be able to marry the two, and uh, and is a technical it's a technical job in some regards. So you you have to be somewhat technical to kind of make it all work. Yes, so. I surround myself with a lot of plumbers. Like my DIT is an amazing plumber, <laughs> and <laughs> the ACs and everything. But yeah, <laughs> DITs are probably the most unsung heroes. So that often. is true. So, uh, so. all right. So tell me a little bit about your experience with 13th. I have to talk about 13th. I sure. want to talk about it right away. Yeah. Uh, you shot probably the definitive documentary on incarceration in America. And yeah. it it's like, for me, it also really put Netflix on the map as a documentary powerhouse. It was, uh, it's an incredible movie. And uh, I, I just rewatched it again the other night because mm. I wanted to have that experience again. And thankfully enough time had gone by and boy, it's like, it's it's incredible. So tell me about how that came to be and how, and, and about the process. Yeah, so 13th will be a movie, it's still to this day, that one of the pieces that I am seriously the most proud of that I've worked on. And not not because of the way it looks, not because of how we shot the interviews, but just because of how important that story is, is, was, you know, like it's still so timely, like continues to be, continues sure. to be. Donald Trump is still in it saying crazy stuff. So I will, that one will always hold a pretty special place for me. I... Initially, before we started working on that film, I knew of the director, Ava DuVernay, by like, you know, social media. Of course, I knew who Ava was, like, you know, following her. Um, And we followed each other on social media. And I had this, um, I got this email one day from her assistant saying, like, Ava wants to meet you. And um, that's a nice email. It was a really nice email. (laughs) And we ended up meeting at this Pinkberry and had frozen yogurt together. I was so. Did you get the mochi? Of course. (laughs) We got Nutella on the side, which was lovely. Um, And it was just like the most wonderful meeting. And it turns out, you know, she had in mind this VR project that she was going to do, but they didn't didn't end up going through. But then she was like, well, by the way, I'm also working on this documentary. Would you be interested in just this little documentary that's going to become the definitive (laughs) story of incarceration in the the, the US? Yes, just a small thing. And of course, I was like, yes. And so, you know, we I I was one of the DPs with Hans Charles, who was also incredible. And um, the two of us, like, you know, figured out Well, mainly it was Ava led like she really was not interested in like a talking head sort of interview mm. and um, or just like the standard talking head look. And I know that like in each interview, she really wanted to visually elevate the people that we were talking to. And like we were talking to, you know, people like ranging from Angela Davis to like a mother who had her son in solitary confinement for decades, like really, but wanting to give each of them that same sort of weight and, you know, just the same sort gravitas is the wrong word, but importance in a frame, you know, and uh, she really, uh, really really pushed me and pushed us to really get creative with how we frame things and how we found locations. Like there was a really incredible location scout on the job that would find these places that were like, we really wanted to touch in the feel of like the industrial an industrialized look that kind of tap into the fact that, you know, because of slavery, black people built, you know, significant parts of the infrastructure of this country. So we really wanted to sort of like go for buildings that had beautiful architecture or like for example where we shot 
Angela Davis was like this old train station. I was going to ask had, you about that. It's so yeah. striking that that room, that that room it's that she's beautiful. in. It's, it's cavernous and incredible. And yeah, and it was but, had this beautiful like patina that was kind of like falling apart a oh, little yeah. bit, and the paint chips and all this. I take it it was still, a non-working train station. Non-working, but yeah. they still. I, I think they still do like parties there, or events and things like that. So it's definitely more of like an event space. So oh. the the sort of natural, you know, decay and exactly. entropy that's that's going on in there. Yeah. 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 And I think and for for me, it was just such a pleasure. Before then, I had done a lot of interview, a lot of documentaries and, you know, of course, with like a lot of traditional interview setups and things like that. And a lot of my first jobs as a DP were in the documentary world. And I'm not sure if that's like, you know, at least when I was coming up, I think that was more of an entryway that was accessible for women. And so it was, you know, I, I had a lot of experience with that, but never had I had this sort of experience in working with Ava where it'd be like, you know, she'd go on set, come on set and be able to say, this is what I want. But then in the same breath, be like, well, what do you think about it? And kind of just really was able to, you know, play with her and like figure out like uh, how to shoot beautiful stuff. And I'm like for that, you know, we shot, I can't remember how many days of interviews we actually shot. We shot a bunch and I kept expecting to hear back from them. Like, um, okay, we got some B-roll shoots coming up. So we got some days and at first they're like, no, no, we don't have anything like that scheduled. And I was like, yeah, sure. I'm sure, <laughs> you know, once you get into the editing room, you will. And they didn't like, they really created this, like, you know, from all of the archival footage, of course, but then all the graphics that they did with all that information, like that, I just thought that they did such a great job in not only making it visually interesting as far as the interviews, but also the graphics and all the information. Like I, I'm, I think the movie is wonderful. Yeah. I, I think so too. It really underscores the work that, that you're doing, all the other elements that, that you're talking about, but the content is so compelling. Everything that's being being said is so compelling that I almost feel like you don't need a lot of that stuff. You don't need you don't need the reenactments. You don't need stuff no. that's like no. Yeah. It's, uh, it, tell tell me uh, how long did you how long was that job? Was it uh, did you have a lot of interviews? You shot for many months or was it we, pretty compact? It was pretty compact. I mean, I would say probably. I'd say maybe three months of shooting, something like that, but only like 10 days, really. Um, but you, you, documentaries can take years, can take can yeah. take forever to line up those people and to do all that. Was it a was it a very long post process or did it turn around pretty quickly? It turned around pretty quickly. So we ended up shooting and then they went into the edit and they were, you know, they, uh, you know, I've. I'm sure they were there for a, a bit, <laughs> a long while. But then by the time we got into color correct and doing everything, it didn't feel like it's one. It, it was definitely not one of those projects where like, oh, my gosh, five years later, this is <laughs> we're here. We are in a post house. You know, it was I'd say within the year or something like that, that we were able to turn that around. Was that that uh, Lisa Nishimura who was involved with that that yes. project? Yeah, because yeah. uh, she she's uh, developed quite the the reputation for herself too for being able to turn documentaries around and to really put out good stuff. So yeah, so really, uh, I know, and I know that she and like Netflix in general gave Ava like a lot of freedom, which was I think you know I'm not sure if that was their first. You know, shoot together, but it, I think if it, if it wasn't, it was definitely an early one. So yeah, that was 2016 release. So I can't have to imagine that was production 2015 or something like yeah. that. So, okay, well, hey, we're definitely going to talk about some of your early work and stuff. And I want to, uh, <laughs> I mean, we're already talking about Ava DuVernay, and I know that you guys have continued to work together. Yes. So I kind yeah. of feel like the natural flow is now we talk about uh, Queen Sugar or yeah. maybe some of the other, so the other stuff. But uh, okay, so I've been watching Queen Sugar. Mm -hmm. uh, is it a multi-camera show? Is it a single camera show? How, how, how do you guys um, approach it's this? It's a single camera show, but we, you know, we end up shooting uh, two cameras pretty much all the time. We shoot in New Orleans and New Orleans itself plays like a pretty big, big character, character for yeah, us. For sure. Yeah, It's basically about this family, these three siblings, that inherit this um, sugar plantation from their father, the sugar farm. And it's all about how they try to, you know, honor their father while still living, you know, their lives in the modern day. I think whenever I talk about it, people are always like, oh, is it period? Because nobody's really thinking about like no, it's, modern it's, sugar. It's, yeah, it's today. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it's definitely. No, it's like There, there it's are farmers now. today. <laughs> absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, but it's really, I mean, it's such a pleasure to work on that show. It's like the cast is amazing. The cast is great. Gorgeous, which is wonderful, and yeah, you have a very attractive cast. We do, really, we do, <laughs> pretty incredible. Yeah. Yes, and it's like, it's, and the place itself, like we're constantly, you know, 
I'm so happy. Like I ended up doing three episodes of the show. They're about to start their fifth one. But they we never ended up building a set for this one house that is like right out in the middle of the plantations. It's about an hour's drive outside of New Orleans. It's always kind of a pain to shoot there because, you know, we have to take in travel time. And so it's expensive for production to shoot there. But this house is like, it's just stunning. It's original. It's surrounded by different like slave shacks that historically were there at the time. You can see the sugar cane. We have to be very conscious of like story-wise how high the cane is going to be because the people who own the place are are still growing cane there. And so you can kind of at the right time of year, you can see out the window and see the cane like blowing in the wind and I mean, it's also like painful, like it's during the summer, you know that when you're shooting out there, you're going to have like, you know, lightning delays <laughs> for, you know, the, the better part of an afternoon. But still, I could not, I'd never uh, be happier that we weren't, we didn't build that on the stage because I think it was like one of those unique things that you really do feel part of that. You feel that location. It's like one of the most living locations I think we have. And it's just something that's such a pleasure to be able to go out there, even though there's all these things that makes it, you know, difficult, but it's still, it's my favorite. <laughs> well, it's another uh, Ava DuVernay show and yes. uh, clearly 13th worked out well since yes. you guys are, are doing are <laughs> to this day doing doing more work together. Uh, yeah. Tell me a little bit about the the relationship. So clearly 13th uh, was an experience that Ava wanted to keep, keep having that relationship, wanted to keep doing that with you. And that is it's something we actually talk a lot about the show is the the director DP relationship because for a lot of DPs that's that's where their work comes from. The director is like I I want that person who brought that vision. I want that person who brought that that flavor. I want that person who who made my days, who made the, this yeah. possible. So tell me about your your working relationship. Tell me about uh, it, clearly it's got to work for you too. So so yeah, you you well, like yeah. the experience of, of I mean uh, yeah. I think what's great is that so Ava, she directed the first season of the show, which I wasn't a part of. Uh, the first season was uh, the DP was Antonio Cavace and Antonio continues to be a DP on it and we alternate. And so Antonio and Ava kind of created the look of that show. And but she is like, you know, she ends up she's the executive producer of the show. She's very like extremely involved, like watching dailies, you know, like very I've much. Heard that. Yeah, yeah like, she's, she's involved in almost everything. I, I don't yeah. know how she sleeps <laughs> because she really is involved in everything and always kind of like what's great just like you know when working on the 13th when I was talking about like you know her pushing pushing us for more creative frames of like okay well, yeah but what else can we do like there's this constant push to be the artist and not the plumber you know what I mean and I find that there's something really refreshing about that it's like of course for Queen Sugar it's something where you know this comes with a job we have to make our day things like that but it's like you have to make your day and it has to be beautiful. And that doesn't that's not a care in a lot of different productions. I think a lot of different productions are or some that I've worked with since. It's just like, yeah, I make the day and blah, 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 and like all this thing. But there's not somebody like, you know, in your inbox of like, well, what could we have done with that one setup? Like, could is there any way that you can shoot this a different direction? Like she's always very much involved in in the art of it and I can't I, I'm so thankful to work with a boss who is looking at it with that eye and because you know she has to you know with every episodic show there's different directors for almost every episode so I think she does depend on Antonio and I a lot to be able to maintain that look and constantly push ourselves as artists to, so that we don't get into this thing of like okay yeah I've been on this one stage location for a week now and I have no <laughs> no inspiration to make it look any different. So it's like always kind of like a, a way to push yourself. Tell me what it's like getting notes. Uh, you get notes from Antonio, you get notes from Ava, you get notes from, I mean, it, do they trust you implicitly? So whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think my first, so the first season I did was season two. And I remember walking in and I was super, like, super nervous my first episode because it was, so my, so with Queen Sugar, like before that, I had done other shows, but none of them East were. East Los High. East Los High, yeah, yes, yeah. very good. That I, I've was seen a, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a Hulu show, mm -hmm. but it wasn't a studio show. And so Ava, like, put, put me out there to Warner Brothers and was like, this is who I want to be as the DP. And you know, it's that one of those uh, 
gatekeeper things that before oh, that absolutely. on any, yeah. any other job people would be like oh well she doesn't have studio experience we're not sure if we can you know that would always be an easy excuse for not getting the job it, it's an easy way to write off a dp exactly it, re- it really is that it, yeah. it's like they're looking for ways to say no i think that uh, a lot of our listeners maybe don't necessarily know how um the structure works especially inside the studio system that uh the dp's at the head of three departments camera lighting and grip yeah. And there's a reason there's a bunch of like grizzled old white dudes who are yeah. doing this. They've been doing it for <laughs> for a long freaking time. Yeah. Uh, because I mean, really, that that's that's who the studio wanted. The studio wanted this this person. So no matter what sort of problem or thing came along, you could make your day. You're, you could like, yeah. oh, there's a there's a thunderstorm. We're gonna trust this old guy who's, who's seen it all and done it all. They're gonna do it. So so good on good on Ava for basically saying this is who I want. This is what I need. This yeah. person can do it. And and that was never yeah. questioned yeah. because it was her show and like the, the to, to have like somebody, you know, stand behind you like that is so. No, that, that's huge. That's it's, so, it, it's, it's massive. It's it everything. Yeah. It's massive. But then also made me terrified <laughs> on my first episode. I remember doing it. I was just like, oh, shit. <laughs> now oh, I got, I got, oh, I got, I got to deliver. No, no. We, exactly. Actually, you can, I can curse. Sorry, you can curse. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> no one's bleeped here. We have a little warning at the beginning of the show. You know, most people don't realize how much uh, profanity is involved in this craft. There is. So there's a ton of profanity. <laughs> And that is just like I'm, I've permanently been uh, been ruined, probably from all my years working as an AC and, and working on set. But yes, profanity just comes with the turf. Okay, so so yeah, it. so let, <laughs> let it fly. You're, you're good. So you're, my, you're in a safe space. So. My first episode, I was just super nervous and in my head, and you know, just trying to make sure my biggest goal, like the show, has a very definite visual language and very very different than normal, like you know, network or even at that time like cable TV. And uh, so I was really, you know, trying to, as much as possible, just nail the look and make sure that, you know, the look was maintained so you couldn't really turn it on and be like, oh, my God, that's somebody completely different shooting it. And so that whole, fir- that whole first season which I, that I worked on, which was the second season, I kind of was just trying to, you know, make sure I was maintaining the look. But then somewhere by the end of the season, like I ended up being able to shoot the season finale for that one. And I just remember at that point, like feeling just so much more free, like this is, you know. Um, the run of a season it's like a few months and by the time I was doing the finale I really felt this I don't know I felt like at that point I was like okay this is my show like you know I was able to not only have it maintain a look but also start to spread my arms wings a little bit and be like I'm now going to be you know putting my personal sort of like stamp and look on it and that was incredibly encouraged the whole time and yeah it's a it's a that show is dear to my to my heart too yeah, uh, that, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, OK, so let's talk about so you at the early days, the er, early yes. days of, of, of Kira Kelly. You said you worked <laughs> a lot in documentary. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm looking through your IMDb page right now and I can see a couple of documentaries on here. Now, do you include like UFC Ultimate no, Insider don't. as <laughs> as documentary or is that? Or, or, you know, no, <laughs> I include that as uh, <laughs> I had just stopped gaffing and was like, I need to work. Uh, No, but there was something actually, it's funny. There was a period when I tried to actively get that off of my IMDb oh, page. Oh, really? You, you, you didn't want it on there? You're like... <laughs> no, because it's funny. Everybody kind of brings it up, but now I can laugh about it. Yeah, it was yeah. actually kind of cool. Like, you have to shoot, you it, know... It's not easy. <laughs> it's it is not, not easy. easy. People love to, lo- love to like, frankly, take a crap on reality television and, yeah. like, wedding videographies, but, you know, anyone who's ever tried to do that, that stuff is not easy. It, it takes uh, a serious amount of work, and you have to be always ready, and it's always like, you, on. you can't... Ca- if you gotta catch it, then... Or, or, or it's it's over. There's no yes. second take. So. No, that, I was. It was one of those things. And then also just like the gore of it. Oh, <laughs> it's God, just I'm there's sure. a lot involved. <laughs> but no, that one was uh, that was a fun one. That was a fun one. Oh, okay. And good. before that though, yeah, yeah, let, let's let's go back. I didn't yeah. mean to derail us and talk about that. The <laughs> no, UFC, but, but uh, I will say that wasn't my only little um, like step foray. into <laughs> yes. yes into reality. Like I did a bunch of of the Bourdain shows, which oh fantastic was no. a awesome awesome experience oh, that's great. and like really uh yeah good food good I, fun. I watched all those shows like yeah he was and, yeah and our producer alana cody too big fan watched all those shows yeah, so, yeah and so. it's great like with with him like tony that that was the person like that was him there was no like different person when the camera turned off it was it was it was wonderful yeah uh, all right. Well, let's let's talk about the early days. So let's yes. talk about uh, yeah. where did you get the bug? Where did where does the yeah. desire to work in camera come from? So, <laughs> so I'm going to date myself here. Um, <laughs> I was uh, in high school when The Godfather Three came out. 
And right. that was, you Gen know, X. All that's right. right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so suddenly I had not seen any of the other Godfathers. And I went, I remember I went to see to movies to see with my mom. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is awesome. Like, <laughs> I really loved it. And then I was just like, OK, I need to see the other ones. And so I went and watched the other ones. And I was just like, what was I thinking that the third one is good? Like, these are incredible. And so. I really just started watching, you know, as many movies as I could. But the really the Godfather, Godfather, Godfather Part Two, became these movies that I just constantly wow. was watching. And uh, so I was still in high school, and I um, was taking a lot of still photos. Like I was, that was like my, you know, photography was like my art class of choice, and trying to, you know, push myself with that. And I really, I decided that I wanted to work in film. And so I applied to a bunch of schools and, you know, at that point still, I really couldn't have told you the difference between what a director did and what a producer did. I don't think I most just, people can. That's when right. I want to go into film school. I mean, <laughs> I met an awful lot of people like, I'm going to be a director. And then three yes. weeks in, they're like, maybe I'm not going to be a director. You're like, no, maybe that's maybe, not maybe, it. Maybe it'll be something else. So, yeah. uh, so, so what was the journey for you then? You, so uh, you applied for film school. Did, yeah. you, did you go to film school? I did. I went to Northwestern just outside of Chicago. Oh, sure. And um, it, Northwestern's an awesome school for... Um, they were wonderful in film theory, which I'm super, still thankful to this day. I had this professor named Tom Gunning, and he was just like, you know, we had this like Fritz Lang class, and like just super, super into like the language of cinema. Like cinema is, filmmaking is a language, and like you have to learn that language in order to communicate. So they were wonderful, wonderful theory classes that I just totally geeked out in and then but a lot of ways like you know to get the hands-on learning of course was to work on other students projects and so as as much as I could any chance I got I would work on older kids and like graduate student projects and uh, I worked in every department and then one shoot I found myself like in the lighting department and I remember like I remember we did this setup which in hindsight was not that big I think it was probably like for a medium shot but I was so excited I was just like we had all these c-stands there were all these nets there was all this diffusion there were lights and I was just remember being so proud of the rig I was just like oh my god this is awesome and then the DP let me look through the eyepiece and you didn't see any of that we just saw the effects of all those things and it was like like mine blown and that was it I knew that that was lighting like was what I wanted to end up doing and really just sort of had this whole thing where we can create this world that the audience never sees but is you know affected by it so intensely and so that was it I I I started shooting as much as I could. I started, uh, you know, working in the lighting department during the summers. Like I would stay in Chicago and work in like, you know, sweep out lighting trucks of some local companies and stuff like that. Paying dues. Exactly. Yeah. And, and <laughs> yeah. It, it's sort of a lost art these days, actually. I feel like a lot of people, they're, they're not really interested in the dues paying part of it. They're, they they yeah. want to just like, they want to emerge fully formed. I am a cinematographer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm a gaffer. I can do anything. But, yeah. but you know, really... Uh, the dues paying sweeping out trucks I think builds character I think you really you learn a lot about who you are and who other people are sewing sandbags you know it's true there's and I think a lot of that's kind of I shouldn't say it's gone but I feel like it's fading I feel like the enthusiasm for that is is what's fading a bit you know that's right it's it's too easy now. Yeah. <laughs> People don't have to pay their dues. It's like, wow, it's, we it's, Gen Xers are sounding really. <laughs> but you know this. This is this is the this is the generational ennui that we all kind yes, of experience here. So that it's like true. We're, back we're, in my know, day. Yeah, that's right. Get off my lawn. <laughs> but no, really. <laughs> Sorry, Sorry. I, I can't help it, but it's true. No, and, uh, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad that you could go there with me. I'm glad that you that you, you feel it too. <laughs> Uh, okay, so so you're spending the summers in Chicago. You're, yeah. you're picking up what, whatever work you can, you're, whatever you're, work you're, you're, I can. you can do. And I'm not trying to jump the story too far along, but when do you make the move out west? When do you well, when do you, when do you come out here? So I graduated from college, left Chicago, and moved back to New York. Oh, okay. And so in New York, I you know started off like I would go to sets. I I PA'd for a few months, and then basically every gaffer I worked with, I'd be like, I I want to be an electrician. I would you know I I worked as an electrician for years and um, then was still trying to shoot everything I could which was a lot of documentary stuff mainly but what was great is that I was able to you know work on these jobs that had so much bigger budgets of anything that I ever than I could ever be shooting but learn it and learn on the lighting eventually I started gaffing and really built my way up to gaffing which was great like I did a lot of 
Like, you did a lot um, of cable wrapping. <laughs> you did a lot of, a lot I of did it. a lot of cable wrapping yeah, in the yeah. beginning through New York. Yeah, I think every, questionable water puddles. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, yes, yeah. But yeah, no, I did a lot of that, and you, then was able to build. Do you step remember up the first gaffing. time you saw someone tie in? Do you remember the first time you? Oh God, you, you, yes. It was it in some sketchy place in New York. Holding the board. Oh yeah, holding the exactly. board. Exactly. This is a thing that most people uh, like really don't understand, and I'm going to take it a step back here for our audience who is uh, doesn't know what tying in is, but let's just say that. It's supposed to happen after the the electrical panel, so after the the meter, so you can uh, so you're paying for the electricity. But some people are known to tie in maybe before that or in, yes. in other unusual ways to get free electricity and yeah. uh, for the production. But it is a dangerous uh, it's a dangerous procedure, and there is someone whose job it is to stand there with a big piece of wood, typically yes. like a. Uh, an apple box, a pancake, something something like that. And if someone makes a mistake and starts to electrocute themselves, you are to hit them with that box as hard as you can to knock them free so they do not actually massive die. Massive electrical currents. Yes, massive electrical currents. So uh, you, you, uh, I take it you never actually saw that, saw that happen to anyone? No. I, no, I didn't either, God. but, but no. everyone's heard the stories. Yes, so, yes. So. Even the stories then, I was just like, oh God, please. <laughs> yeah, no. exactly. I, I, hated, I hated that job. I, I worked yeah. in electric for little while and I, I had that job once or twice in sketchy places in san francisco so um yeah. so so yeah that was uh yeah that, that that's a memorable it's experience in, in your young life where you're like <laughs> someone might die right now and it's up to me to make sure they don't die yes so. <laughs> Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. As an aside, Kira, back to you. This is your yeah. story. This is we don't want to talk about. There I was and, holding the board, <laughs> holding no. the board, and I saw this flash of electricity. Yeah. No. Oh. Yes, but anyone who's been in the electrical department for any length of time may have gotten a shock here or there, or may have known people who received more than one shock. So I feel like that's a thing that's kind of gone away too, which is probably that's, that's a, good a good thing. thing. Exactly. Oh, yeah, it's totally a good thing. <laughs> Knowing I, how to tie in is no longer a best boys job. That's no, <laughs> and, and actually this is like one of the most wonderful things probably about the fact that LED lights have come along and yeah, don't need definitely. as much electricity. Yeah. And uh, so I'll, we'll stop talking tech in a sure, second sure. here. But yeah, but yeah. at least it, it, you don't need the giant generator that you used to in the past uh, for some of the way production happens today. It used to be even a modest production, a modest independent production. You had to have a generator because there was no way your, your, your household circuits were never going to be able to no. supply enough light. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, okay, so you're in New York, you're working in uh, as an electric. Working as electric, I am uh, started gaffing, and then I gaffed for a while, and then I did my first feature, mm. which is um, like Tom, my good friend, Tom Gustafson, we did a short called Fairies. And then it like ended up, be, he ended up getting funding for it in 2007, 2007, we shot Were the World Mine, which is basically based on Midsummer Night's Dream. And um, it was like, you know, lots of, it's like a musical and, and wonderful. And I just got this thing, it was like my first feature and just so exciting to work with a good friend and then also be able to work on this project that was so visual. Uh, we shot 16 mil, which was fun. And um, yeah, I remember after I did that job, I got to a position where, you know, people were calling me for stuff. And it was just like that question of like, okay, well, what are you, I'm available, but what are you calling me for? Are you calling me to gaff? Are you calling me to shoot? And it was like, always that awkward moment that I kind of knew it was just like, okay, this is the time I need to, I just want to focus on just shooting. But, you know, it was, it's hard because I was a successful like gaffer at that point and it, it's really hard to turn down the jobs. It is I, hard, and I then know. you're just like, "Oh my gosh, I'm gonna, I'm going. It's hungry. New York rent, like. Oh my god, <laughs> you, yes, New York. It's, it's tempting. Yeah, it's. It was always tempting to be like, "Well, I guess I could do this," but I really wanted to make a clean transition to only be shooting. So around that time, I was uh, doing. You know, I was in a long distance relationship with my then boyfriend, now husband, and he was in L.A. and. It just seemed like uh, moving to L.A. at that point seemed like a good thing to kind of find a new spot to kind of reinvent myself and a new, you know, scene in a that way. That was only 13 years ago. That was only, God. <laughs> <laughs> that was a while ago, yes. <laughs> so so, yeah. uh, so, so, you came out for love, you came out for work. Yes. And, uh, and, and I, I will tell you that my experience moving to L.A. was I had to keep going back to San Francisco for work. Is <laughs> that everyone yeah. knew me there and nobody knew me here. And it was like, oh you're asking me to work for free or you're asking me to PA. It was like starting it in some ways all over for me. Did you have something to cushion your landing here? Did you, uh, I, did you, uh, 
I did. So let me think. I didn't work for a bit when I first moved out here. I remember I, my first thing was like, okay, I need to find an agent. And so I went around and like tried to find an agent and I did, um, which was great. But then it was still very slow. And then what I ended up doing though, is like, I, it comes back to that first feature. This man named Carlos Portugal found, had seen fairies before, was a, which was a short version of that feature that I did. And he was a huge fan and he had a movie coming up and he reached out to me totally random it was like Fantastic. I've got this movie coming up it was such a small it was like a small little indie but also like musical elements and really fun like shooting in East LA and downtown and all this stuff and it was called uh, it ended up being they changed the name it's called Popstar and so Carlos was just like a dream to work with like a really like it was really fun I got to meet such a like you know basically the beginnings of my LA crew you know and like really starting meeting people and um you know figuring out how to shoot here I remember it's funny this I'll, I'll segue a little bit when I was in New York as like an electrician and then also as a gaffer I remember the the the, the LADPs would always come out and complain about, oh, the hampers. Why do you guys have all the cables and the hampers? Like, oh, it doesn't make any sense. And it's true. In New York, you had like the cables just come and the equipment comes in these big laundry hampers. And I never understood. I was like, well, why does it bother you? You don't have to pick up the cable out of the hamper. But then I got out here and I kind of just saw, I was just like, oh, God, wow, that is kind of a little bit more. <laughs> That does make a little bit more simple and kinder on your back than to the use to, of hampers. Yeah, go, go reach into that thing. Yeah, uh, so yeah. it was nice, like, even on an independent level to kind of see the differences and how, like, things were kind of set up here in L.A. I got to give a, a just a, a, a quick moment of praise to the L.A. crews because, like, I, I've worked in a lot of different cities, even some other parts in the world, but uh, I don't see crews run anywhere anything like they do in LA like LA crews to me I always feel like are I mean there are great people everywhere there's great productions everywhere but the infrastructure that exists here and the way that people are constantly refining and trying to improve what they're doing yeah yeah LA's LA's amazing it was yeah it was definitely a cool it was cool to kind of to to finally see it and be like okay yeah maybe Maybe we did something different than hampers. <laughs> so, so, okay, but. so East Los High. So East Los High, yes. I'm going to guess, is probably uh, it's, it's a good break for you. It's a big turning point. It's a, or it was it, huge it was, in many yeah. ways. So East Los, so again, and it was an was, independent, it was an independent project, if I remember correctly, yeah. uh, acquired by Hulu. Hulu. So. so Carlos Portugal, that same guy who asked me to do his feature out here, he then had this idea for this uh, show called East Los High. And originally, like the first season, they had no, we didn't have distribution. But they had found financing to like to shoot. I think it was like something crazy, like 23 episodes, which if you think about streaming now is like crazy (laughs) number of episodes. They were half hour, but still it was a lot to do. And we did it as like a feature. Basically, we because we didn't have money to go back and forth. Like, you know, this is just all the locations for one episode. We had to cross board it. So we shot the first 12, at you know, all at once and then the back 12 or 11 all at once and uh that's kind of funny like when carlos first approached me i was pregnant um and i would just kind of like i knew that i was pregnant i was just like i don't think i can do it carlos because i'm going to basically i was going to have my daughter in july which is they were going to be going until basically the end of july and he was like it's okay we can find like we ended up working out something he he really wanted to work with me that my camera operator would then take over as the dp when i left and so it was ended up being wonderful and then that got put out um it got picked up by hulu and then the second season was a hulu show and that was how i got into the union i was non-union before then and so that was like and once we went over to hulu we were able to finally be you know 600 which was great for you know healthcare, everything and like it opened up huge doors so yeah it was a big deal that show was a great it was great we you know i ended up shooting I think I ended up shooting three or four seasons of that show and just such a great group of people. And yeah, like still have I still have ACs that I've worked with and met on East Los High and we still kind of try to get back together again. The, the show is actually uh, pretty influential. I uh, a lot of stuff that's kind of coming out now, which feels very much to me in that almost uh, soap opera high school set, sort of very melodramatic. And 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 I know that that first season, I actually I know the people who did the post for for the first season. Oh, I, yeah. uh, we used to be in Hollywood and they were located right next door to us. And I remember when they were 
putting all of that together. But it was like that was very much bailing wire and chewing gum. You guys were like make it. You guys oh, were making yeah. it up on the day. It was. Uh, it was. Yeah. Uh, it was definitely a feat. It was like one of those things where we tried to, you know, have this story of these characters still have it be something that kids would want to watch. Like you know these one like really great dance sequences. We had the incredible uh, choreographers, but then also like the the mission of the show was really how to talk about like social issues and talk, try to talk about like safe sex try to talk about like you know I think there was an abortion storyline there was like uh, domestic violence like really try to kind of hook people in as far as like this fun sort of soapy dancey thing but also talk to them about real issues which yeah was, yeah I, I felt like it was uh, a more real counterpart to like the Beverly Hills 90210s that maybe yes. were on, on TV back when <laughs> maybe you can remember when, I, when, I when, do when remember we were young those. so <laughs> yes it was yeah. Uh, yeah it was it was more set in a uh, slightly more real world so, exactly but, but, uh, okay all right so Kira we don't have a ton of time left but I wanted to talk to you a little bit about self-made uh, yes. t- tell me about the self-made project this is coming up really soon I know probably around the time this show goes live it'll either be just about to or just has uh, gone it's got it's a is it what is it on a streaming service it's or? Netflix Netflix okay. Netflix show it premieres March 20th the end of March and it's this series that we um, that I shot in Toronto which Toronto has some pretty baller crews too like <laughs> really incredible oh, yeah. crew they're used to working in the cold yes like, exactly like extreme cold I've never been anywhere colder <laughs> than ah. Toronto, period. Luckily, like, like, I was there from like, when was I there? I was there, for, we shot uh, 2019 from like uh, June until the end of September. And I remember at the end of September, I started bringing, like we were outside, I started bringing out my biggest coats and they all just looked at me like, oh God, you would never survive here. It's <laughs> just like, you're right, I would not. But um, Self Made is this, um, it's this, it was a four part, um, four episode limited series for Netflix starring Octavia Spencer as Madam C.J. Walker. And Madam C.J. Walker, you know, was born at the turn of the century. And basically she was a woman who, she was a black woman who was the child the child of slaves who end up ended up becoming the first self-made woman millionaire in the United States. Wow. Not just the first, you know, self-made black woman millionaire, the first woman who woman, was period. made her yeah. own money, yeah. made, you know, had this crazy business all from hair products and like you think about the turn of the century is like there was no running water so it was really difficult for black women to be able to do their hair and maintain it and she really was in touch with that and um so we kind of had this it was my first like on this big scale period piece which was so exciting and like you know getting all the the wardrobe and the wigs and everything and it it was just such a pleasure and we um had such an amazing crew and we had two directors um casey lemons did uh episodes one and who, who just did Harriet, and then Domaine Davis, who um, I first worked with on Queen Sugar, but also does like a lot of Shondaland shows now, and just really, really great directors for the show. And I'm really excited about it. I really, um, I'm proud of the work. And it's fun because for Queen Sugar, like a lot of our, for example, like that one, you know, that show is like, you know, 16-9, uh, which is like a little bit closer to a, like more of a square aspect ratio. We do a lot of headroom and stuff like that. Sure. And so I really wanted with this one to kind of push myself a little bit differently visually. And so, so it's, it's a period piece. It's a period piece. You should go we, for a, a scope we, sort of We a, did. We oh. ended up, we tried to get um, true anamorphic, like getting like the two, three, five, but we ended up getting two to one nice. from oh, Netflix, two, two which one is, is wonderful. fantastic. More and more people are, oh, yeah, doing it. It's yeah. really kind of interesting, and we we ended up shooting T series anamorphic oh. lenses, which are beautiful, fantastic. Yeah, yeah they're, 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 those are really great. Lenses. Yeah. yeah, there's nothing. There's something. There's something about. And I'm going to get a little geeky. No, they're, they're the, magic. They're the wonderful. The 65 yeah. millimeter series T series lens is my favorite. Favorite. It's just beautiful. It kind yeah. of falls off really nice. But yeah, this project, I'm I'm super proud of it, and I hope that uh, people see it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure I'm sure that they will. And yeah. You have, and Octavia Spencer, you've got a tremendous uh, team. Oh behind yeah. This, so that's like that, Tiffany Haddish is in it, oh, who is hilarious, and yeah, it's good. All right. So, uh, Kira, can people find you online? Or do you have an Instagram or a I do, website? Or yeah. Tell, tell us, tell our listeners where they can find you. Uh, I am on Instagram. Uh, what's um, the Kira Graham? I'm not sure how that ended cool. up. We, we'll, we'll put a <laughs> link in the show notes as well too, so people yeah. can click on that. Uh, I'm on Twitter, but less less often. And then yeah, my website is kirakellydp.com. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, Kira, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Kira Kelly, thank you so much. I would love to have you on the show again. 
after your, well, you know, assuming you'll still come on the show after you're collecting all your Academy Awards and yeah. everything else that undoubtedly is in your future. Also after, you know, the great plague of 2020. So You know what? Uh, this, this is a survivable plague and, and we will survive. Yes. Yes. Most of us. Yeah. <laughs> and on that sunny thought, you know right. what time it is. It's time to pay the bills. Who's <laughs> so, our sponsor today? Our sponsor is Aperture, Aperture maker of fine LED lights. Uh, Their fine LED lights are actually manufactured in China. You know, uh, of course, the center of the uh, coronavirus uh, outbreak. Uh, But what I have to say is really amazing. And I want to I want to take this moment to actually give a little update because I happen to know a few things about how Aperture uh, makes their products. And um, they were shut down for a long time and they had a brand new factory that was just starting to uh, starting to produce when the outbreak happened and everything had to get shut down. Life is returning to normal. Life is returning to normal in many parts of China, which um, I get contacted from uh, Chinese suppliers from time to time, a, a lot of them contacting us cold saying, oh, please don't buy our product. But uh, there was a period of about two months where I heard from nobody, where I got oh, no, really? no solicitations of any sort from anyone in China. And I was like, wow, things must really be bad when I'm not even getting these like cold spammy emails to like look at our product or look at our thing. Or That was all gone. But lately, especially people who maybe are more friendly about their, their spamminess, they have uh, reached out to me and been like, hey, you know what? I'm really pleased to report that we're back in the shop. We're nice. back in the factory. We're we're moving forward on this stuff, and uh, I think that I think that's uh, that actually should provide all of us a bit a bit of hope. And uh, I'm really glad that that Aperture is mustering forward, and their production schedule is coming back online. And even though things like NAB isn't happening, uh, very very prop popular products like we've mentioned several times on the show on the MC light, which we're still giving, giving some away. If you go to hotrodcameras.com forward slash giveaway, you can enter immediately there to win them, which is pretty cool. Do it, do it. I, I held one in my hand. It was awesome. It, it is pretty awesome. Now, now they're just uh, over here on the table. Oh, so. I would be, I would have been fidgeting. You want to hold one again? <laughs> so I'm actually wondering though, with NAB canceling, is there going to be, I mean like everybody announces all their new stuff. That's right. Like is somebody filling the gap because I feel like you could easily like if NAB's website just had clickable links to everybody's new announcements and then demos of you know whatever products from Canon or Nikon or whatever. I've heard no less than three different people say that they were going to be involved with some sort of press release or product review or thing for uh, for companies that want to do that. I was encouraged really strongly last week to do the same so now we're exploring that. So, Interesting. Dep- so depending like when any AB might come along. Uh, we happen to be geographically in the right place for a lot of these people who have uh, who have these products. It'd be very easy to come in here and for us to do little product videos. We could just type go things. down to your little hot rod cameras light setup and uh, you know have someone demo their new lens or camera or whatever. And we also have another space where they could set up their light. So we, yeah. we could we could do a really nice sort of thing. And uh, if you are in the sound of my voice and you uh, do represent a manufacturer who does that sort of thing, reach out to us because. I think we're going to have a lot of time coming up. We're going to have some oh more time. Yeah. And uh, and this is the type of thing that we could do relatively easily and and quite safely. And I think everyone would be would be happy for it because you get to watch uh, a product review from like an NAB, but it would not be at the NAB floor without any of the expense or anything like that. And uh, just so everyone knows, uh, that was not like a pre-scripted thing. I was actually asking an honest question and I had no idea that you'd been talking about that. You know, we had not really been talking about us doing it. I saw three other people out there say, oh, we're going to do it. But now as time has gone by, I don't know how serious they are and one of them is not in this country and I don't know how practical that is for some of the manufacturers that are more local so uh, I got encouraged and maybe maybe we'll figure this out in the next uh, couple of weeks yeah that'd be cool we could even have maybe some of them on the podcast I think that would be fun on yeah. our generally non-technical podcast. our generally non-technical product you know what I, I I we I tell people this all the time. We're non-technical, but the truth is, we are technical. But what we do is we ask people to uh, dumb it down to lay descriptions. We ask people like, you know what? Everyone needs to become along this party, including the people who are non-technical. I know that there are several producers that listen to our show. Producers are notoriously non-technical. Not mm-hmm. always. Some are producers are very yeah. technical, but we want to make sure that when we're using acronyms or we're using technical terms, that they get explained. Well, so. I also, when I'm interviewing people, my focus is generally on like yeah that's a neat toy but how did you use it and what was the thing that you got it to do i think that's more interesting way myself. more interesting but you know what the other people will the, disagree the, other the people toys will change but the effects are going to be things people are always looking for and and you know what let, there's other podcasts for that let those people go do all that tech stuff Absolutely. on their podcast we, we can do our own thing 
And now, short ends. So, hey, Ben, what is your short end? Well, I think my short end is actually quite fitting for what's going on in the world today, um, although it is satire, and it's uh, the HBO TV series Avenue 5, uh, which is created by the same people who created, like, In the Loop and Veep. It's like wild satire. It's ship of fools in space, basically. Has, has this been your short end before? Uh, it has not been my oh, short okay, end before. Okay. I don't believe it has. All right. You've been talking about it a lot, though. So that's that made me think, like, maybe for a second this If it was it. my short end, then, uh, you know, I, I leave it to our listeners to call me out for double short ending, which I don't think <laughs> I've ever done before. Well, that means you must really, really like this. I, I look forward to it, but I feel like what those people are best known for, if you were a fan of Veep or you saw the movie In the Loop, is they're doing satire of the political process and what they've done is they've depoliticized it so it's not about politics but it's basically about a bunch of people on a cruise ship deep in outer space and then there's a technical problem that sets them like a few degrees off course but what that means like since they're out by jupiter is instead of being back in earth at six months they're going to be back in five years and they're stuck in space Mm. and josh gad is on it and uh, um hugh laurie Laurie, yeah the the whole cast is is honestly amazing and it's uh shot by somebody named eben bolter and uh, I hope I'm pronouncing the name it's got correctly. Ethan Phillips in it as well, too. He was on Star Trek, if I'm not mistaken. Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Oh, yeah. I, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, he plays the long-haired astronaut guy. Yeah, so, like yeah. the only competent person, but that's, also kind of a creep. That's right. And it, it kind of is like a weird, like every week I watch it and I'm like, you know, obviously they probably wrote this and shot it a year ago or six months ago, but some of it feels like weirdly prescient. Like there was an episode where everyone's like, we're not really in space and they all get in the airlock to prove it to everyone that they can (laughs) step right out and they'll be okay. And they instantly freeze to death and fly out into space. Oh, fun. Which I'm going to say is actually them copying my episode of 20 seconds to live. Clearly they they watched it, copied you. Because we did have a time travel episode where something like that happened. Oh, Um, but uh, it's beautifully shot. It's shot to look like a Star Trek-y kind of a show. It's got like outrageously fast, funny, witty banter. And and I actually do feel like like a lot of great comedy. It's like probing something in the human condition that that we don't talk about as, as much which is sort of like it, it sort of is attacking incompetence from every direction and every character in this in their own way is successful for reasons of being a faker and completely incompetent at the thing that they're saying that they're great at i believe that i should like avenue five yeah i don't all the all the recipe pieces are there and for some reason that just doesn't uh, congeal into a stew that i want to eat I, I don't know what it is i, I get about it. it i mean it's like, you know it's it, is, it is a particular flavor of comedy uh, I like the cast, but no, I, 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 I can't. And, and you know what? This kind of leads me into my short end because my short end is a show that I actually have some mixed feelings about. And I don't really know anyone else who's watching it. And it uh, what is it? What is it? What is it? it? It's called Devs. D-E-V-S. Devs. I've never heard of it. So Devs is uh, on Hulu. You can if you have Hulu, you can watch it for I, I free. Do. Yeah. It's um, it looks seems to have been co-produced with fx okay uh, fx is uh in, involved in it it's got uh, well Nick- because of disney buying fox now fx is gonna all be on hulu so this mm-hmm. is all part of the giant corporate merger machine well uh it stars uh well it, i shouldn't say it stars it's got nick offerman in it but nick offerman's not the protagonist but he's probably um the, the biggest name in the cast yeah and i really like his sort of interesting character but at the same time it's the protagonist, who I also feel like I should like, I really don't. And I don't know if it's like I don't like her character, if I don't like her performance. It's a combination of both. Don't don't like her in what way? It's it's like something about it is ringing false and not exactly working for me. So mm-hmm. that so and almost never can I think of a show where I'm like not wild about the protagonist, but I want to keep watching. And this yeah. is that show. So even though I'm not wild about her I am really kind of liking all the other stuff that goes around it. And uh, it has to do with corporate espionage. Oh. Uh, it takes place in San Francisco. And there's this, uh, you know, I went to film school in San Francisco and I always thought like, boy, uh, there should be more movies like The Conversation, which takes place in San Francisco and gets to use all these wonderful set pieces because it's just such a visual city and you don't usually see that happen. San Francisco is so beautiful to look at. It, and it to me, it's like 
it can be a little bit dark. It can be a little bit of menacing. And there is like uh, not giving anything away, but there's sort of a meet that happens between like a spy handler and uh-huh. the, and the protagonist uh, right near the Golden Gate Bridge. And there's all this fog that's rolling through. The, and I'm like, they shot in that in San Francisco. It looks exactly like that every morning for months on end. And how cool that they did this 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 thing here, which is which I think is great. Well, that's brave because fog can just clear. So exactly, you could but be screwed. Not, not in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, anyway, part of the movie though is part. Sorry, part of the series is shot in England and I haven't been able to figure out exactly what but there's sort of like this West Palo Alto Mill Valley sort of field and forest area and that's the only spot I think might be England because it does very clearly say like you know shot in shot in England shot here and they're like so they do some in San Francisco and some in England but I don't know how the it splits it's uh Tom Hardy who of course uh is uh you know BSC cinematographer famous for uh the works of Alex Garland which is like Ex Machina and Annihilation and uh I'm a big fan of Alex Garland and Tom Hardy so I love all of this stuff that's coming together and the show mostly works for me but uh it's it's got something that's I, I don't know how to make up my mind about yet. So if you're a listener and you're hunkered down at home watching series oh and stuff, uh, yeah, you know, uh, shoot us some feedback. Let me know what you think of devs if you watch it. I'm interested to know, too, what our listeners think. I, I, I kind of tweeted something about this already because I was running out of podcasts, but it's like sitting at home and not having anything to do. Of course, I'm chasing after a two year old now. But uh, so that keeps me busy several hours out of the day. But when, swear jar. Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, but uh, when you have that downtime, are you listening to more podcasts? And if so, which ones are you listening to? A friend of mine, uh, Jeremy Galise, you know, Jeremy, I do. Uh, recommended uh, one called Dead Eyes that I started listening to last night. And uh, I was like, oh, this is really good. And it's uh, about a character actor who was supposed to have sort of like a one scene role in Band of Brothers and was fired by Tom Hanks because he supposedly had dead eyes in his audition. And he's trying to find out uh, what what happened. And he's a very successful actor now. And uh, and so he like talks to John Hamm and he doesn't talk to the casting director of Band of Brothers, but he talks to a, a casting director he knows. And he's like trying to get to the bottom of the mystery of why he was fired from a one scene role in Band of Brothers in 2000. And it's actually kind of it's kind of engrossing. I, I would totally watch that. Listen oh, to it is a podcast. Oh, oh, OK, excuse me. I would uh, I would love to listen to that. That sounds quite interesting. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, okay, I actually have to st- take a step back though. In my mind, I think I said Tom Hardy. I meant to say Rob Hardy. I, did, Rob, I, did, I didn't correct you, you. You gave me this look like what? Well, because <laughs> so, Tom Hardy has been. Tom Hardy is an actor, yeah. of course, a famous, famous actor. But I wasn't but a thousand percent sure that, that there, there wasn't were, also a Tom Hardy yeah, the actor. No, no, I meant to Tom, say Tom Hardy doesn't sound like the most impossible name no, for two it, people it's, to have. It's Rob. It's Rob Hardy, and Rob Hardy. I'd love to have on the show. His uh, his work is fantastic, and boy, did I I, I thought Annihilation looked it looked incredible. And for so. that matter, we'd love to have Tom Hardy on the show. And <laughs> Even do both you know, of them if at the we same get time. Tom and Rob Hardy together, the Hardy, Boy- the Hardy Boys, the Hardy Boys, the Hardy Boys mystery, we could solve like we could have like a, an escape room set up in here for the two of them. We, we could have uh, actor and cinematographer, uh, you know, just Hardy. And then and they both have like three. They have the three letter names. It's yeah, this is a this is, this is perfect. I think, I think, we I think, should get Alana setting this up yeah, right, should, right now. We should be working really hard during the plague on this. <laughs> Sounds like a great idea. By the way, uh, somebody uh, on Facebook had that like uh, post your fourth uh, most recent photo to cheer me up. And my fourth most recent photo was a picture of my bookshelf of all the books on disease that I have that I had sent to somebody. <laughs> wow. I was you like, have a collection of disease books? I do. I do. Yeah. I, I, I found, uh, you know, epidemiology. I, I would call myself a very amateur epidemiologist. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Extremely amateur. <laughs> Like, uh, like a fan of, of an amateur epidemiologist. So really you're a fan of like movies about, well, it was epidemic. Well, I I think I might've mentioned it on the podcast before, but, uh, a long time ago, myself and two friends, Alanette and Herman Michael Torres sold a TV series based on the centers for disease control. Hmm. Right. And it was like the movie traffic, which maybe will give you an idea of the time in which we sold it. It, And it was going to be like in all these different worlds. So we had like people in the jungle trying to find cures to this and that. And you had like, you know, somebody in, in the Senate lobbying for money and you had people at the CDC and blah, blah, blah. And it was like, I thought it was a really cool idea then. I still think it's a pretty cool idea. So we sold it. We were all excited and high-fiving. And then like two weeks later, 9-11 happened. Oh, yeah. And uh, and the company who we'd sold it to, who doesn't exist anymore, Big Ticket Television, they kind of got back to us and they're like, yeah, we're not going to sell a show about disease right now to any network. And uh, the dream uh, evaporated like a pile of Purell on in the sun. <laughs> and, 
and I, I have since thought that it was actually a pretty cool idea still to return to. But when we were doing that, I did was... Did the rights revert after they... Uh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, okay. I, I think that, honestly, I think that the deal ended up not going through. Like, the deal was still in process, and they were like, yeah, we're not doing it. But it, it doesn't matter because the company that, that bought it doesn't exist anymore, I don't think. Also, it would be easy to change it in a few ways and, and move on. But the interesting thing about that for me was, I, you know, I'd read, like, The Hot Zone and a few other things, and I, like, stocked up on... Uh, you know, dozens of books about epidemiology and how the CDC works and, you know, basically as research for that, but also because my love of horror, I think, comes out of my constant stress level and kind of fear vicariously living through terrible things allows me to kind of de-stress and and, uh, uh, let some of that out. And so uh, reading about, you know, stuff like uh, actually Richard Preston, who wrote The Hot Zone, wrote a book called Demon in the Freezer that was about bioterrorism. Mm, yes. And, and it was all about and he wrote it like right out. It was, uh, you know, in the it was right after 9-11. It wasn't too long after 9-11. And, and it was about like the the strain of anthrax that had been sent to American reporters and uh, and how anthrax and smallpox were being weaponized and stuff. And it was all very horrible and terrifying. But, you know, but my big takeaway from that period of time was it wasn't those things that needed to be worried about. It was things like influenza. Mm. Yeah, and, yeah. And so it's obviously COVID-19 isn't influenza, but it's not. Thank unlike. you for scaring the listeners that we have left here at the end of the show. You're welcome. Uh, for, for bringing this all full circle. To, yeah, well, uh, you, you know, because know, because they don't get enough and a fucking discussion of, <laughs> of, of virus in their Facebook feeds and on TV and well, everywhere yeah. else. They had to come to the cinematography podcast to then well, you know, you talk know, you about can, but you can take it. But honestly, you know, go go watch some great movies about it. Go watch, uh, you know, the Andromeda or, strain or don't or don't do that. <laughs> Maybe you should need to watch a, like, you know, some uh, cat I, videos. I watched the animated Mulan last night. It was perfect. So, you know, I'm not, <laughs> it's got uh, I didn't even realize it had Eddie Murphy in it. I'd never seen it before. So, uh, but, you know, you could go watch fluffy little clouds you could go with the like you know you and i deal with stress in different ways but uh <laughs> um but yeah i uh <laughs> you're going into the darkness come back then come back i'm always there i'm always i'm always one foot into it anyway so uh on, on that cheerful note Ilya, who do we have to thank for oh, today's yes, episode perfect. that's the best segue ever let's <laughs> let's thank some people hey, you know what let's who do let's... we have to from a social distance, from a safe social distance, with our hands freshly washed and Purell'd. We from, from let's let's start from furthest away. Ben Katz, Ben Katz, you know he's uh, editing our shows from from th- thousands of miles away right now. And Ben Katz, and, I, I think I've only been in the same room with him once, and it was way before this, so he doesn't have to worry about catching anything from me. Oh God, I think he is right down the street though, from where that big outbreak was in Seattle or oh, in Kirkland. Dear. No, so, I, I, so I have a bunch it, of friends in Seattle. And it's I terrifying. think it's really real for him right now. So I think oh. he's really like you know stay uh, stay hunkered down. Ben Katz. Stay safe, Ben Katz. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry you had to listen to even more of me talking about disease than you probably left in the show. Ugh. All right. Let, let's thank uh, from uh, his remote location, Kay Zalatracci. Kay Zalatracci, who we have who, had, not seen and who knows how yeah, long. So. I, I, I've Facebook messaged with him. But again, I, to my knowledge, COVID-19 has not figured out how to cross that barrier. No, no. He's uh, he's stayed quite. He's, he's all safe and he's in his in his place. Uh, you know, he's got he's got like a bunker underneath his house, which is his studio. And he uh, he's I'm sure he's doing great. And, uh, and then most importantly, we should thank Alana Cody, who is local, who's we see all the time, who is, uh, you know, brave says you. I haven't seen her in a few weeks. Oh, really? OK, well, uh, well, she's bravely marshalling forward and also uh, demanding the absolute strictest disinfectant practices be. Handled. That's true. So, when yeah. for all I know, next week, we might be doing this from our own individual locations over Skype. I'd prefer to not. But yeah, I, I prefer prefer not to. Uh, but uh, but yeah. And we got some really great episodes coming up that we are. Uh, actually doing some remote recording for us. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to go do one of them in a few hours. All right, perfect. All right, Ben, then that, that wraps this up and I'll see you next week. Yes, sir. Maybe. <laughs> this has been the Cinematography Podcast presented by Hot Rod Cameras. Find your next camera, lens or accessory on the web at hotrodcameras.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes and connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening.